0: Well, let's have a little fun with it, uh, a little crowd participation, be a leader here, don't be a bump on the log. How many of you are the oldest child? Anybody here the oldest child out of your siblings, or or the only child? Oldest and only kind of go together, by the way. Okay, Margo. Okay, that makes sense now that this, anyway, no. <laughs> How many of you are the youngest? Any youngest? All right. Any, you're the youngest. Any other youngest? Okay. All right. Are there any middle Children, what's going on. Any middle children? Anybody want to raise their hand? Doug, what are you? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest, okay. Shire, what are you? Middle. Middle, okay. I'm a middle, just so you know. Don't hold that against me. Um, here's what's interesting about parenting. Which child gets taken easiest on by the parents? The parents usually take it easiest on which one? The baby. Everyone knew. Everyone knew. Especially the non-younger ones knew. Uh, which one? I, I don't... You hear people say, well, parents are just easing up as they get older, right? That's what you hear. I think it's just laziness. I think parents just get lazy. <laughs> that's what it is. That's, at least that's for me. But I don't blame the mothers. I blame the fathers. I think fathers are flat out bad examples sometimes. And I, I blame the fathers because I've watched myself. Just get lazier and lazier uh, throughout my parenting few years that I've had. Now think back to it. Now, now stay with me here. Think back. The times in your childhood when you went to the ER and you got hurt and you had the injury and you had the broken bone and the police report came, was it your supervising supervisor or your dad? Oh, it was her dad. <laughs> he was allowing you to be up to something that you should have never, that your mother would have never let you be up to. For example, take a look at this video. I'm pretty sure a dad was in charge at this time. Take Puts his kids in the car. Now, don't you think the that dad's, some dad was in charge, right? Hey, this is a good idea. Let's put you in this car and roll you down the hill. I don't know if he was in trouble once that video came out Or if he was a hero because he saved that little baby I know this, dads aren't always the best example But there is an example we can always trust And his name is Jesus Other than the cross I cannot find an event in his life Where he set a better example in this passage today In Mark chapter 1 If you have your Bibles turned there Mark chapter 1 beginning with verse 9 Other than the cross This example Uh, Sets for us something to strive after this is a rich deep practical this has been a spiritual blessing for me to study this week we're going to go from verses 9 through verses 13 just a little bit of a review last week we went through verses 1 through 8 and just a little historical background here in those days in the first century I don't know if you knew this uh, there was a phrase that was going around often this was the phrase right here the beginning of the gospel about Caesar Augustus. Now what does that mean? Gospel means good news. And when Caesar Augustus went on the throne, everybody says good news. Caesar Augustus is in charge. He's going to make your life better. The economy is going to be better. Your life's going to be more comfortable. You're going to have better rules, better laws, better streets, better school system. Good news. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So then Mark comes along and he says, I'm going to write something different to you. I want to tell you where the real good news is. And he's writing to Romans. You always heard that phrase right there. And if you look in your Bibles, how does Mark start this book? Exact same words, except for the name, the beginning of the gospel about who? Jesus Christ. Mark isn't writing to tell us about the life of Jesus. He's telling us that life is. Is found in Jesus And then verses 2 through 8 Were introduced to Jesus' cousin I don't know if you knew that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin And his entire life Was focused on pointing us to Jesus Don't miss Jesus There's Jesus I must decrease He must increase And it's all about uh, Pointing everybody to Jesus And then you get to verse 8 And he introduces this idea Of baptism and that's what gets us jump started in verse 9. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was what? What was he? How did he kickstart his ministry? Baptized. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Jesus is about 30 years old when this happens. He's coming from Galilee. He's going to the Jordan to be baptized. By the way, this story of Jesus' baptism, we may not think it's that big of a deal. We're just kind of reading along through Mark and we read through it fast. This story is recorded in all four accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are very few stories recorded in all four accounts, but Jesus' baptism is mentioned in all four accounts. It was a big deal to the first century writers. Now, What is baptism for? If you look back up into verse 4, John the Baptist tells us it's for two things. This baptism was for repentance, which means reversing the course of your life, and forgiveness of sins. Well, did Jesus have any sins that needed to be forgiven? Anybody? No. He didn't. So why would he get baptized? Why would he need to be baptized? Mark doesn't tell us why, but it poses that question, doesn't it? What are you doing you don't need to be baptized and by the way in other accounts it shows us that john the baptist was asking the same question jesus you don't need to be baptized i'm not going to baptize you you need to be baptizing me what are you doing you lost your mind jesus just for the first time ever you lost your mind but matthew chapter three we're actually told this is a different account of the baptism matthew tells us what jesus says that jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. He tried to get him not to do it. Saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. To fulfill all righteousness is another phrase that basically means it's the right thing to do. Being baptized is the right thing to do. John, I'm not going to get into all the details with you today. I'm not going to get into all the theology. It's simply the right thing to do. Righteousness, you see the word right in righteousness? It's the right thing to do. Here's what Jesus knew. It's God's will for all of humanity to be baptized. Do I need to be baptized? No. But it's God's will that all of humanity is, so I will too. I'm going to set an example. Now, so often in our life, we try to do as little as possible to get into heaven, right? Have you seen that approach? I've seen that approach because I've taken that approach before. I'm not going to fulfill all righteousness. I'll just do enough to appease my parents. I'll just do enough to appease my coach. I'll just do enough to get the degree, and I barely got the degree. I'll just do enough to be safe to get into heaven. But Jesus wasn't like that. He says, I'm going to do everything that God has ever, his will for all humanity I'm going to do it all, whether I need to do it or not. I'm going to set a good example. I'm grateful for his good example. So another question, how was Jesus baptized? Was he sprinkled or was he immersed? Well, in a sense, it doesn't exactly tell us, though it does practically, but it does tell us in the Greek and English it doesn't really tell us. Here's two words that appear in the Greek. Uh, language that could mean baptism to us. One of them is raptizo, and the other is baptizo. Everybody say raptizo. It's just fun to say. It's what we do. And baptizo. The raptizo is a word that means sprinkling. Baptizo is a word that means full immersion into water. Well, you say, well, which one did Mark hear? Which one did Jesus use here? Which one was it? When he? When it says he was baptized in verse 9, which word do you think was used? It was the word baptizo. Now let's go a little farther. When you go through the New Testament, you'll never find the word raptizo in the New Testament at all. There's never an example of someone being sprinkled. There's never command, it's never illustrated, it's never example. It's always, been. if Mark wanted to use raptizo, he, he had, if he wanted to use sprinkling, he had a word to use it. But the scriptures say, God's word says, that Jesus was fully immersed in Into water Which poses some more questions Let's take a moment and answer them Baptism Unfortunately has become a church tradition It's become a family tradition Or it's become a cultural tradition But it is rarely done Out of obedience to the scriptures And so another thing that we see today Is infant baptism You will never find An infant being baptized Or sprinkled In all of your Bible Old Testament or New Testament. You'll never find an infant baptized or sprinkled. It's not example. It's not illustrated. And it is not commanded in scripture. Well, you say, well, where did it come from then? Why did we start sprinkling? Why did we start doing this for infants?" Well, it came from the Roman Catholic Church. That's where it came from. Hundreds of years after the life of Jesus, they were having trouble accounting for babies, because of original sin You know what the idea of original sin is Adam's sin is on you when you're born And so we need to get that baby Sprinkled or baptized In order for that baby to be saved Well here's a couple of problems with that They came up with If the baby isn't sprinkled And the baby dies Where does the baby go? Heaven or hell? The baby goes to a place called limbo Do you ever find limbo In the Bible? You'll never find limbo. It sounds like a game that you're arching your back to try to get under. There's no limbo in the scriptures. But they had to account for that. And so so here's, is original sin true? It is in the sense that did you take Adam's sin when you were born as a baby, you did not. You were not a sinner when you were born. When you came out of your mother's womb, you had not committed any sin. Adam's sin was not on you. His sin nature was on you. You were later going to sin because you inherited his nature. You didn't inherit his sin. So you didn't need to be baptized as a baby. You didn't need to be sprinkled as a baby because you were not a sinner when you were a baby. You had his nature, which means you were going to sin. And how many of you did later on sin? When you were capable of sin, the first chance you got, you blew it. You sinned. But you weren't a sinner then. And so... I take that with a lot of comfort because if you've ever had a miscarriage, if you've ever had an abortion, if you've ever lost a baby, if you've ever had a stillborn, if you've uh, ever had a child pass away, you can rest assured today that that child is in heaven and you will be reunited with him or her someday. Isn't that good news? We don't have to wonder if they're in limbo. An example of that would be King David. King David in the Old Testament lost a baby and he didn't. This is what he said. King David said, I cannot bring my baby boy back to me, but I can go to be where he is someday. Well, if where he is is in limbo, King David could have never been with him in limbo. He knew his baby was in heaven because his baby had no sin. And so you may be asking, well, if I was sprinkled as a baby and I did it out of church tradition, I did it out of family tradition, uh, But I've never been immersed. Do I need to be immersed like Jesus was? Well, the answer to that is, it doesn't matter if you've been sprinkled a thousand times. It doesn't matter if you were born in the ocean. If you've never made a personal choice to follow the example of Jesus Christ to be immersed, you need to do that. You need to follow the greatest example of all time. So why won't some people do it? I mean, you know this. There's a pushback at this moment. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Well, why do some people push back? Let me give you five reasons that I've come up with. This is not comprehensive, surely. Number one is pride. Well, I've been a Christian for so long, it would be embarrassing to get baptized now. I've been a Sunday school teacher. I worked in the children's department. I do the sound booth, which is the most important job in here, don't you know? If you're not going on, then we're not going on. I've been the music leader. I've been the preacher. I'm the preacher's wife. I'm the greeter, I'm the this. So it would be kind of embarrassing. It would be humiliating to be baptized now. Everybody thinks I'm already a Christian. I would say, humble yourself, and God will lift you up in due time. Another reason would be family. I don't want to go against my family. My family had me sprinkled. So I don't want to go against them later in life. There was a, a young man, about 18 years old, in Brazil. It was there a couple of years ago, preaching. And at the end of the service, this young man comes forward, and I don't know what's going on, because everything's being spoken in Portuguese, uh, just so you know. But he's coming forward, and he's getting baptized, and everybody's clapping. And at the end of the baptism, the preacher uh, gets up, and he's still speaking Portuguese, and he tells the crowd, and I'm only hearing this through a translator, he tells the crowd, Now that so-and-so got baptized, we need somebody in here to take him in your home tonight. Because of his baptism, he has been officially kicked out of his home. His parents told me before he came. If you get baptized, you're no longer welcome in our home. And that young man made the decision that heaven is more important than family on earth. That's a tough decision. But someday, and I, I hope you'll never have to make that decision. But if you had to ask me eternity with the heavenly father... Or maybe make some family members upset. I'm picking heaven every day. And I hope you would too. That young man did, I was so impressed by him. The crowd just sat there like it was normal stuff for them. Oh yeah, we'll take them in. This is normal. Number three, ignorance. Maybe you just didn't know about baptism. Maybe you didn't know about the commands. Maybe you didn't know about the examples in Scripture. Today you know. Maybe the first time you're hearing it. Number four, it could be vanity. I had a woman come up to me and say, I'm not getting baptized. I don't want everybody to see me with my hair wet. I picked my jaw up off the floor and uh, continued on. That's just being vain. And number five, maybe you've never truly repented. Somebody who's truly repented and decided to follow Christ will obey the commands of Christ and will follow the example of Let's go to verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, which, by the way, that's a description of immersion. You're coming up out of the water. He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. I'm not going to spend long on this. I just want you to know the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Okay? So we will take that verse and say, "Oh, the Holy Spirit's a dove. No, it's not. It says it's like a dove. There's other pastors that say Holy Spirit's like a fire. Holy Spirit's like a wind. There's a lot of descriptions. Holy Spirit is not a bird flying around. There are some religions that will not, uh, uh, every time they see a dove, it must be the Holy Spirit. No, don't do that. Verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. By the way, whose voice is this? That's right, Heavenly Father. What did he say? You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. How many times did the Heavenly Father say this in the scriptures? Twice. Here in the Mount of Transfiguration. This is so big. You only see it twice, but when he comes up out of the waters of baptism, and he didn't even have to, he didn't have any sins, his father looks down and says, good job God. I'm pleased with you. I love you. Follow his example. That's what That's what's happening. Now, I can't imagine what that looked like because Mark saw it, apparently. He was a young man and saw it. John says he saw it, Peter probably saw it because Peter's helping write this book. But can you just take a moment, imagine seeing this, and you kind of see it with Katie sometimes with our storms, heaven being ripped open. I mean, they saw heaven ripped open and God started to speak. God hadn't spoken 400 years publicly. He'd spoken privately to Mary and Joseph. He hadn't spoken publicly in 400 years until Jesus' baptism. This is how big of a deal this is. Heaven ripped open, dove comes down. This is my son, whom I am well pleased. You know what? I don't know if you had or have a dad that is mushy and tells you how proud he is of you. Um, My dad's not mushy (laughs) at all. My dad loves me, and he, he lets me know that in many ways. But he doesn't often say I love you. I think I've hugged him. He's hugged me maybe once or twice in our entire life. And I don't even remember, though, if I'm just assuming that we've hugged before. Um, there's no mushiness. There's not a lot of... But, but he, he, is. He, he loves me, and I know all that's there. He's just not that way verbally. Except for about six or seven years ago... Um, at the previous church that we were at, he came and visited, and uh, you know he knows my background, and I actually have a background of stuttering, and that somehow disappeared when I started preaching. And he came to, to the Tyro Christian Church, went up there and spoke. He stayed for both services, and uh, I'm a nervous wreck when my dad is in the crowd, just so you know. He's going to be here this Sunday after Christmas, and I'm going to be shaking the whole time. Now you may not be able to see it. But when my dad's in the crowd, I'm scared to death. I just get so nervous. But after the service, after the two services, when we got home, we were eating lunch. I grabbed my arm and said, good job, buddy. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I didn't, know you know, I just did quick thanks. I said, yes, <laughs> to the bathroom and did a jig. You know, wow, <clears throat> dad just said, you know, I'm proud of you. What does that do when your dad says, you know, if your dad's not around anymore, you probably crave it. If your dad didn't say stuff like that to you, you crave it. When your earthly dad says, I'm proud of you, I just, from a son's perspective, yes. I played it cool. I acted like it didn't matter, but I still remember it six years later, how big of a deal it was. If that's how we are when our earthly dad says it, how much more when our heavenly father says it. Now, there's this idea, man, I, I don't care if I have a mansion in heaven, just get me to heaven. Give me a tent. Give me a fifth wheel. Give me a camper. I just want to get there. I don't care about all the rewards because the, the Bible says you will be judged based on what you've done. If you're an unbeliever, you'll be judged off your sin. If you're a believer, you're not judged off your sin. You won't answer for your sin. Jesus already answered for it. But you will be judged off your good works, uh, deeds. I don't care. Some people won't get many pats on the back of God because they just barely got saved and barely got in. But I just got to tell you, if you get there and God puts his arm around you and says, well done, I saw when you said no to that temptation. I saw when you said no to that sin. I saw when you put yourself second. I saw the way you loved your wife. I saw the way you loved your husband. I saw the way you loved your kids. I saw your consistency to the church and your love for the church. I saw the way you served. I saw the way you invested. I saw the way you sacrificed. I saw that. And he puts his arm around you and says, well done. Let me just tell you, it will be a big deal in that moment. You will go, yes. And you will wish. Well, that because in that moment, you—why didn't why didn't I go for it? Why didn't I have greater faith? Why didn't I take greater risk Why didn't I sacrifice more? It will be a big deal. Look at verse twelve. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And this is fascinating and confusing. So God's pleased with him. So what does God reward Jesus with? 40 days of no food. Now can you imagine that after Thanksgiving? I didn't go 40 minutes without food the last three days. I'm so filled up with sugar right now, it's unbelievable. 40 days without food, and who's tempting him? Who's testing him? Satan. That's what's easy. So here it is. Hey, we don't say this enough. Anytime you take a step toward God... Satan's right there to try to discourage you. It's not the other way. Well, once you say yes to God, your life's going to be blissful. It's going to be full of fun. Actually, the opposite is true in Scripture. Anytime you take a step closer to God, Satan's going to try to knock you off that path every time. He'll try to discourage you. He'll put something. I don't know what he'll do to you. I can tell you what he's done to me in the past. You have your own stories. I have my stories. Jesus has his story. His first experience after his baptism is 40 days of hunger, 40 days of fasting, and temptation from Satan to try to get him to sin. And he will do the same thing to you. 40 days is a number that represents testing in the scriptures. 40 uh, was how many years the Israelites were in the desert. It was how many years that Moses was a shepherd. It was how many days the flood came, the, the flood waters came during Noah's days, 40 days, 40 nights. It's how many days the spies went to Canaan to spy out the promised land. It's how many days that Moses was on Mount Sinai. And later, Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection for 40 days. So for 40 days, he's being tested by Satan. After you take a step toward God, get ready for it. He's going to go after you. So that's the sermon. But I want to dive a little bit deeper for just about three minutes and then we're going to close. You're going to like this. Stay with me. There was something bigger going on this entire passage this entire time that blew me away when I discovered it this week. I didn't know about this. What we just read, verses 9 through 13, I just want to go through some instances as, as you're looking at your passage. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all take an active role in this story. The Father says something, the Spirit comes down, and the Son does something. All three are taking an active role. Can you name another time in the Bible where that happens, where all three take an active role? In an event? Only one at a time. The creation of the world. Two times, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are actively involved and mentioned. Twice, the creation of the world In Jesus' baptism Much bigger deal Than we make this Let's go a little bit farther When it says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove That word descending is a word that means fluttering That's where they got the dove Imagery It's the word that means fluttering Where's the only other time that the Spirit is mentioned As fluttering Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 Creation of the world The uh, the, The Spirit was hovering over the water That that word hovering is another word for fluttering over the waters. God says to Jesus, good job. What does God say in the creation of the world when he's done? It's very good. It's very good. Look at verse 13 for a moment in your Bible. Whenever it says that Jesus lived with the wild beast, that word with, is a word that means that he was living in harmony with the wild animals. If it's me out there, 40 days and 40 nights with lions, tigers, and bears, there's no harmony going on at all. I'm I'm fighting for my life. Jesus was living in total harmony with creation. They didn't go after Jesus. They were together as one. When was the only other time in history that mankind was living in harmony with wild beasts? The creation of the world before the fall of Adam. Adam was living in harmony with all the creation sin, and we will too someday, but this is the only other time that happened. Jesus, after his baptism, was immediately tempted. After we read of the creation of Adam, what was he immediately, what immediately happened? Satan tempted Adam. Now here's the difference, though. Adam said yes, Jesus said no. What Adam should have done, Jesus did. What Adam should have resisted, Jesus did. The example that Adam was supposed to give us, Jesus gave us the right example. And God was recreating the original story of creation here in this passage almost in every way, more ways than what I'm even sharing with you today, even to the point of temptation. And where Adam gave in, Jesus gave us full righteousness, and he said no to Satan. even to the point where Adam's temptation was a tree. God said, if you go to that tree, all men will die. Jesus had a tree too. It was the cross. God says, if you go to that tree, all men will live. And Jesus did. Wow. So we have the greatest example. Through the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. May that be our, our example today as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this deep story, rich story. showing us the new Adam is what you were doing. And you were showing us the way it was supposed to be done originally. And you were giving us the greatest example of all time. Father, I pray today that this group, we may look to Jesus. And if there's somebody in here today who's never obeyed the command of immersion or followed Jesus' example,